everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Caston, and with me, as always, is the classy and sassy Jonathan Strickland. Lad, I don't know where you've been, but I see you won first prize. Ah, that's a fun song, Jonathan. (laughs) It's classy. And sassy. <laughs> it is classy and sassy. I and wanted sassy. to. I wanted to make sure I lived up. Also, I don't know Ariel if you noticed, but um, you know when we use Riverside to record these episodes, and one of the things I usually don't even bother filling up my name when I join in on Riverside because I'm the one <laughs> like as, acting as producer. Did you see what my name is? Yes, you changed it to Vainglory. Yeah, Vainglory. My my. Mayor slash Lord Admiral character was Edmund Vainglory the third or EV three as he would call himself. So I just thought for fun's sake, because we are going to talk more about our work at the Renaissance Festival. We figure we'll wrap this up. It's a three parter. So we, we and also it may hopefully be signs that before too long, we could go back to having, you know, more normal ish episodes of LNC because uh, Ariel, you heard some, some news about the WGA strike at least. I did. Yeah. Uh, So the AMPT or the WGA released something to its members, basically saying that uh, the AMPTP had asked them back to um, talks and uh, so that's happening. I believe today. Uh, exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, here's hoping that the WGA and AMPTP can come to an agreement and then that that's a good sign for SAG-AFTRA. On the one hand, as an actor, I'm like, oh man, I want, I want the strike to be over because, yeah, this, this, I'm, I am keeping busy with non-stricken work, but, uh, you know, I, I want the strike to be over. I want media to be made and I, I want to have, I, Auditioning is the job. I I love the auditions. Um, but on the other hand, the WGA has been on strike much longer, and they probably, you know, financially need to come to an agreement sooner. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I know that the WGA leaders already cautioned union members and said not to get their hopes up too high. Mm-hmm. That this this could very well just be you know, come to the table, find out that they're not, they don't really want to budge on the important stuff. And then it's right back to where they were. So they're being very cautious to let union members know, like, don't just expect this to be the end of it. It may not be. Uh, and this is too important for us to, to really budge on because it defines how entertainment works moving forward. And if it's something that, you know, the average person pursuing a career in writing can't expect to make a living doing this. That's a problem. So we have to wait and see, uh, you know, we'll be cautiously optimistic, but only in that the writers get what they need in order to make a viable living doing what they, they love. Uh, otherwise we all lose out, right? Because if, if we don't get great writers because all the great writers are like, I can't live on this, then we don't get great entertainment. So that's a real problem. I agree. And like AI can only go so far. Uh, it, it misses a whole, a whole lot of humanity. And I think it always will. That's my, yeah. at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that's, you know, 
I'm hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, this is at least an indication that the producers have perhaps budged on their original plan to starve out writers until October. It's a couple of months early. So maybe that's an indication that, that perhaps the producers are aware that the public opinion is largely against them and that maybe they need to make some changes or else they're going to endanger their entire industry. I don't know. I mean, they're in such a protected position that it's hard to say, but that's one can hope. Yeah. Uh, Although there, Variety has a, an article saying Warner Brothers Discovery says Strike saved it more than 100 million in Q2, but that uh, that CEO hopes the negotiations resume soon. So, like, yeah, that's David Zaslov. He, uh, I worked for him. I feel comfortable <laughs> saying this. He's a jerk. He is a jerk, and is I mean, only interested in the bottom line. And that's why, if the bottom line shows less red and more black, then it's good. It doesn't matter how many I, people are out of but, a job. I mean, hopefully, even as as much of a jerk as you say he is, as a businessman, hopefully he understands that that is not sustainable. You know, it saved money, but eventually, yeah. if they are not making new content, then. I, I would like to think he would understand that, but as my experience working under discovery communications, I can't be confident that, or, or that if he does understand it, that he cares. Cause uh, not to go off on a whole rant, although this does kind of tie into some of the stuff we'll talk about with the yeah. Georgia Renaissance <laughs> festival. Um, but like I, I get really sick of seeing business leaders run their businesses for the purposes of short term gains but at the expense of long-term performance. And we see this time and again with lots of big companies. You know, Warner Brothers Discovery is one. Disney, I would argue, is another, where you can see decisions being made at the corporate level that if you were to break it down financially, quarter to quarter, you'd say, oh, this makes sense because it's cutting costs, it's maximizing revenue, it's maximizing profits as a result. But then if you project it outward, you say, but this is going to really hold the company back from doing great things and also potentially alienating its customer base over time, over the long run because of these decisions. And while that might not have an immediate reflection in the numbers for this quarter, it is going to be a big deal a year from now or two years from now or five years from now. And very few leaders in my opinion, seem to take that long-term view. This is also getting into a business on the brink episode, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, and it, it does take place. Uh, it, it does. It, I'm not going to get into it right now, but it especially ties into Renfest because some of the things that Jonathan and I will talk about later that were impetuses for us stepping away from doing it um, are things that we assumed would hurt the Renfest in the long term, but it seems a lot of Renfests are going in that direction. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if it actually will, or if it's something that we hold value in, but the current audience base doesn't. But uh, yeah. in in but- in the realm of television mm-hmm. uh, and film, like it's a lot more black and white, right? Yeah. Well, color. I mean, they they introduced color TV <laughs> like back in the fifties. So. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, but I mean, like the audiences, you know, they 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 have already proven like Netflix took a, a drop in in like I think their very first drop in re- like when they f- 
hit their first loss was partially because they were making so much content, mm-hmm. uh, trying to hit as much of the market with content as they could, but not necessarily focusing on quality. Um, and I, I feel like I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, they're very secretive about their numbers, but I feel like that's part of what caused their losses because people are like, well, the stuff on Netflix is no longer good. So why am I watching? Well, um, and, and, and we've and seen, we've seen similar conversations about specific sub genres of, of, uh, entertainment, right? So mm-hmm. things like the superhero subgenre, and I'm not going to mention like specifics or whatever, but even before there was this perceived decline in quality of various films and arguably series, the, there was this ongoing conversation about superhero fatigue. Uh, I think what you're pointing to, Ariel, is at least for me, this is just anecdotal, so obviously it doesn't really hold any water. But anecdotally, I personally have a real sense of just content fatigue, not just mm-hmm. not just specifically superhero, but I'm just constantly bombarded by all these announcements of films and shows and specials and that kind of stuff. And there's way more than I could ever watch unless that's all I ever did. And it ends up uh, overwhelming me to the point where I never actually watch any of it because I'm just, it just, it, it feels like, it feels like effort and work at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tybalt's overwhelmed too. It sounds like, yeah, no, he's overwhelmed that I'm in here and he's out there. Oh, poor baby. No, I, I agree with you. There's just, there's, there's, you know, it, it feels like a double-edged sword to, to say that for me <laughs> as an actor, but yeah, sure. I, agree. Uh, I mean, yeah, as an actor, I can totally understand the, the uh, being excited about the number of opportunities that are out there that I totally get. The problem is if the audience feels overwhelmed and never watches the thing, then yeah, you got to be in something, but no one's ever going to see it because they're just, yeah. they're just maybe, maybe even if people were interested in it, they can't find it because it's buried under the 800 other things that came out that day. So, yep. or it's, or it's been taken off of whatever platform it was made for. Um, and not yeah, and it's not available anymore. anywhere else. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, <laughs> you mentioned double-edged swords, you know, another place where you find double-edged swords, <laughs> uh, dragon con. No, uh, the Renaissance festival. That's right. So let's talk about the Renaissance fair. We're going to, f- uh, finalize our, our conversation about this. So one thing that we kind of touched on, but we didn't really talk about was things like, uh, scheduling. And I was specifically going to start with the, scheduling that you have to deal with if you're either a new performer at um, the, and we're talking from the street cast perspective, Ariel can talk a bit about street musicians as well, because she's been both. I've only done street cast. Uh, but if you're a brand new street cast character or you are a returning actor, but you're playing a new character, you have to go through quite a few rehearsals in order to develop that character and to create who this person is, what motivates them, what do they want out of the day? Because ideally every single character walking around has a goal that they have in mind. It may not be a huge goal. It might be a very modest goal, but they have it. And Mm -hmm. in their mind, the, the guests who are there at the festival, they're the people who are going to help them achieve that goal. That's kind of the whole purpose. This process can last a very 
very long time. Like it can start several months before opening day at the festival. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I've heard everywhere from four to six months. Uh, there are obviously some productions that are very quick and have a quick um, turnaround, but general uh, four to six months seems to be the consensus. So like mm. for instance, for Garf, um, and I, I think this is still the case. They usually audition around January sometime in January. Yeah. And then in February, uh, at least when I was rehearsing in February, we would start rehearsals and then we'd open up at the end of April. Mm -hmm. um, so from February to April, at least once a week. And I think it was uh, once a week and then every other weekend, possibly every weekend for rehearsals. And yeah. once a week would be uh, somewhere in, in central Atlanta. And then because the fair site was further away you would on the weekends, you would drive down to the fair site and rehearse on the fair site. Um, yeah. The, the first year when I did it or first couple of seasons, in fact, I think the first three seasons I did it, uh, the only time we ever went down to the fair site, I think there were like two rehearsals that took place down there and everything else took place in other locations around Atlanta. And it was only the last two, because that was when you had the whole cast get together and interact with one another uh, so like there, there was a distinct possibility you would be on cast as a new character and not have met some of the veterans and not know their characters at all because I, they do, I feel like that's just a certainty. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it definitely was the way it worked when I, when I started, right? Like there were people, mm -hmm. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know who their characters were because they, they did not have to go through the week to week process of building a character. So like I knew all the newbies, all the rookies and all the people who are creating a new character. I knew all of them because we had uh, come through the rehearsal process together. And because I was also in Shakespeare parody, I knew all the people who were in Shakespeare parody, which included mm -hmm. some of the veterans. So those people I knew anyone outside of that, I did not know. I would get to know them over the course of a couple of big rehearsals. And I think it was only the final rehearsal my first year that took place on site. By the time uh, my last season was 2019, by then they were doing rehearsals at the site every weekend. And uh, it is a haul, y'all. It's a it's a big it's a big commitment when you're actually working there and you're having to go there every weekend for seven weekends in a row mm -hmm. or maybe even eight sometimes. Uh, but it is it is even worse when it's during the rehearsal process uh, and you're like, oh, man, yeah. I got to schlep all the way across south of the city to get to the site. Yeah. Unless you, for some reason, happen to live on the south of the city, which yeah. the director often did, but everyone else did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I will say, like, it is helpful to be on site more than once or twice before opening day because you want to know how to get around, right? You want to know where the bathrooms are. You want to know where all of the staff entrances and exits are because there's lots of what we used to call ferry gates that you could go through to kind of disappear. Um, yeah, incredibly important because there were times yes. where you, you're just like, just mentally you needed to have a break from being on and being able to slip out a little yeah. side exit was a lifesaver. Or, or to, you know, use the staff uh, porta potties, which in yes. a hoop skirt is really difficult. Um, <laughs> I will take but, the word on that. Yeah. But, um, you know, every weekend is a lot. Now, part of pro probably part of my memory is adjusted by the fact that scenario rehearsals and fight rehearsals would happen on site. Yes. And 
if you're schlepping steel around, um, I would say that you do need, I, you know, I am grateful for the February to April rehearsals we had for fight. I feel like that is something that required that much rehearsal to be safe because certainly I got injured a lot more during the rehearsal process than I did on site. But even there were some years where people just didn't know their, their choreography. There was one year where I I basically had to like under my breath, tell the moves to my fight partner. It wasn't their fault. They, they ended up with like a, a personal conflict. They couldn't get around and we ended up doing it. It was fine, but yeah. Uh, so certain things certainly do benefit from a lot more rehearsal and rehearsal on site on uneven ground and things like that. But even yeah. like in the beginning days, fight rehearsals started downtown kind of in a central location and then moved to site once the fights were kind of solidified. Well, that that's another thing is that when I started all the scenario took place on stages. So it, when it's on a stage, you can, uh, rehearse it in a different location because you're arguably using a, a pretty controlled environment. You're not on uneven ground. You don't have to deal with, you know, slippery grass or rocks or anything like that. And so it made it a little bit easier, I think, back in those days uh, to to schedule rehearsals at different locations. But uh, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, this the festival moved away from that. They they ended up taking stages away from scenario in order to uh, have more stage acts perform at those locations, which meant that when we did have scenario, which wasn't every year, but when we did have it, it would happen in the streets. And I always hated that because I felt like it really limited your audience. Very few people would be able to see as compared to being able to sit in a theater. And it's a lot harder to see what's going on. And it's a lot harder to block like blocking mm -hmm. a stage combat fight is pretty easy when it's a regular stage audience experience, because you can do all the cheats and everything upstage so that no one can see and it looks better when you're doing it in the round. It's way harder to make it look good from every single angle. Yeah. Not impossible, but way harder. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Uh, so, so with all of those rehearsals and then, you know, six weeks of performances, Saturdays and Sundays, plus Memorial Day, Monday, plus possibly student days, plus possibly doing promotional gigs. Um, that's that's a lot of time commitment, um, most of which, you know, rehearsal process. By the time I joined, you did not get paid for. Yeah. So when I first started, so. uh, all actors would receive a bit of a rehearsal stipend. It was not a lot of money, but it was meant to do things like help cover the cost of gas and grabbing, you know, like lunch or something on the go when you were heading to rehearsals. So it was meant to help compensate actors who were having to schlep across town to get to the rehearsal yeah. site. Uh, but by the time Ariel joined, that had already been phased out, that they got rid of that uh, sort of behind the scenes. When I joined, the person who ran the entertainment department was also a co-owner of the festival. But she and her husband sold off their their share of the festival to the other owner. And uh, and so when Ariel started at that point, the entertainment department no longer actually owned part of the festival. And that made the changes a lot more um, abrupt, I would say, than they otherwise would have been. 
So uh, one of the first things that we saw gone were the rehearsal stipends. Uh, if you were combat, you would typically get a, a boost to your take home pay for being combat. If you were in a stage show like the Shakespeare parody, you would typically get a little boost to that. Uh, but otherwise you were making very little money uh, if you were being paid. Uh, most people were being paid, but they weren't being paid very yeah. much. They were talking like less than minimum wage. And uh, a few quote unquote apprentices think unpaid interns uh, weren't getting paid at all. They were just yeah. there supposedly to learn the art of <laughs> acting and improvising and street performing, which, I guess. Which, okay. So I have, I have mixed feelings on this on the one, one hand, you know, I was a board member for a community theater. I've done a boatload of community theater. Right. And that is usually completely free, right? You're doing it because you love to do it and you want to perform. Um, and sometimes you can have months worth of rehearsal process for that. And even more nights a week. However, once you're performing, you're performing for a couple hours a night as opposed to 10 to 12 hour days. Um, so like street performance is a very different beast from staged improv, from the regular theater, from so many other things. It's its completely own art style. So I understand needing some sort of training in that, but I definitely think that that has been a cop out over the years. Well, I mean, the training for that is the rehearsal process. That's the yeah. training. That's where yeah. the training should be coming in. Not, oh, we can add in more bodies on our cast by telling people who really love the idea of dressing up yeah. and being silly, which has a huge appeal. I mean, that's why I did it right. Like I was like, Oh, I'm going to get paid to dress up and pretend all day, every weekend. That was what really drew me to it. And I love entertaining people. So that was a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that becomes the way that, uh, uh, some institutions like certain certain festivals, including Georgia, can end up um, end up, you know, preying upon the young performers who either don't have the confidence or the knowledge uh, or the appreciation of what they are worth. Mm -hmm. And so they end up agreeing to things that perhaps were uh, far too predatory, like when you will look at the pay for street characters like it, it not only did it not really change from when I started in 1999, when I did it in 2019, there were fewer people being paid. So yeah. like, that's crazy. And like the it's the opposite of inflation. The years. Yes. Ariel had yeah, to take the, a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, there were some people who would get hired on at much higher pay rates. And it was always very frustrating to me as a seasoned actor and professional actor. Um, and albeit I am a much better actor now than I was straight out of high school. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely, especially if you're starting fair young, you don't necessarily know how to stand up for yourself in those situations. And, uh, there, <laughs> I love my time at fair. I learned so much. I made some wonderful friendships. I had some amazing experiences, but that, that youthfulness can also cause other problems in a very flirty kind of um, carnival sort of a setting. Not, I'm not speaking poorly of carnivals, but in, in situations where you've got a lot of people who work the festival, who travel around and know each other and kind of like this big 
family, um, it, it can cause some some just social issues as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, also, you have to keep in mind that the culture in general has changed dramatically since mm-hmm. Ariel and I started. Like um, the Renaissance Festival in particular was seen as almost like an adult Disneyland. Like it was family friendly and kids were a big part of what of the the patrons who had come to the festival. But it had kind of a a naughty body edge to it. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of the characters had sort of a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of element to their personality. I mean, I remember we used to have a fishmonger who would play the character as if she were totally just like, like addled and uh, a, a, a silly nonsensical person who just happened to be dropping lots of uh, double entendre fish puns. And she was brilliant at the job. Like she was great at doing it, but you're like, wow, this is like, and it's, it was arguably the kind of humor that would go right over a kid's head, but adults mm-hmm. would get it right. Like that kind of thing. And that was considered fine. Um, but this also engendered a kind of culture among uh, some of the cast, mostly the men of the cast that perhaps encouraged some overly familiar approaches to other people at the festival, which didn't just include cast, but sometimes like, you know, people who worked at booths or sometimes even guests. And it was yeah. uh, not a good thing then. It's definitely not acceptable now, but it shouldn't have been acceptable then either. Yeah. Uh, I was not one of those folks, but I did witness a few instances. Yeah. And I do feel like that is something that has gotten better over time. Yes. Um, I, I know that specifically Garf has made steps to make it a safer uh, environment for the actors, for the participants, um, which is fantastic. So I know we're, 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 already starting to <laughs> we're starting we're to dog ahead on, a little bit we're, we're, we're dogging dog. on the festival a bit but yes to to the festival's credit i would i would say that that yeah. is one big 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 improvement is that yeah like it is discussed in no in no uh you know uh ambivalent terms like this is not acceptable behavior we will not accept it if you are found to have engaged in it you will be you know you'll yeah. be essentially fired so uh, yeah, I think in that regard, there have been some changes in the festival that have been extremely positive. Yeah. Uh, it has meant that um, there has been a very change, a big change in character direction as well, but that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I miss playing a kissing wench, but and I, I think there is a way you could still do it, but I don't think that fairs are putting enough resources into their cast members to facilitate that. Um, <clears throat> uh, that being said, going back to rehearsals, two other things. If you're going to count training as a rehearsal, you've got to make sure that there is some sort of standard to training. Some of the people who uh, taught classes for the Georgia Renaissance Festival were absolutely brilliant and phenomenal and had a grasp of street characters. They were usually people who are seasoned performers, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to get good training, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, and so you you need to make sure that your trainers are people who are also good at teaching. Um, yes. and, and not just teaching what they think is right, but what is a, kind of a standard, um, and standards are something that Renfests kind of have, but they don't have a lot of, um, you, you said to speak to musicians as a musician, most of our rehearsals were just as the band. 
And then I think we'd show up for dress rehearsal day and whatever day all the characters introduce themselves to each other. We were encouraged to attend maybe a character building workshop because uh, they wanted musicians to be out on the streets and have lotsies and still seem like part of the village as opposed to, you know, 20th century, 21st century, whatever uh, people who just happen to be in costume and playing music occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was much looser. Um, that being said, you were expected to be putting the rehearsal time in on your own with your band, with your stage show. Also, all the musicians uh, or pretty much all the musicians would participate in things like uh, the opening gate ceremony, which means yes. that there would be some rehearsals where the musicians would collectively need to get together and rehearse together, yeah. not just in their little pockets of of whomever they were performing yes. with throughout the day. But because you would be expected to perform three or four musical numbers at the beginning of the, the day you had to rehearse collectively. Yeah. And then pub sing at the end of the day generally was a, a group effort. Um, so yeah, so there were a few additional group rehearsals, but not all of them collided with the street cast rehearsals. Yeah. And um, stage shows rarely did at all. <laughs> one other little thing about dress rehearsal type stuff so uh, when when the characters would all step forward and introduce themselves and everything, there was also Ariel even alluded to it when I was talking about my least favorite thing about uh, the rehearsal process. And she guessed the love and hate letters. I actually love those. So the purpose of a love and hate letter. So each character was assigned a love, some other character that they loved and then another character that they hated. And chances are the person you loved would not necessarily love you back. In fact, they might actually hate you. Uh, but the whole purpose was really to help you develop improv, uh, acting skills so that you could perform against other characters as well as develop your language skills so that you sounded appropriately Renaissance ish. Uh, and I'm being super, super, super kind to call it that, but mm-hmm. you would, you would craft these letters in, uh, appropriate language and either have compliments or insults or whatever, and then send them, uh, you would, you would actually deliver them to the recipients on the final rehearsal day, which when I started was, uh, a pretty simple experience. Like you just, you would find the people and you would hand them their letter. By the time I was gone, it had turned into this crazy grandiose display where some people would even read out the whole letter. And I'm like, this is eating up so much time. I, you are clever. Congratulations. You're very clever. Shut up and let's get on with it so I can go home. Yeah. So I, I love that. And I liked when people put a lot of thought and effort in, into it, you know, and some, some of that was just based on like, what what you could afford to do because like sometimes you one of the one of the i still have this love letter uh our our mutual friend lucas was assigned to love my character one year and it was when i was vogue and i got a letter written on a thin strip of paper shoved into a beautiful glass pink bottle and i still have that it was so beautiful it was so well thought out uh they put so much effort into it um and then like my hate was like uh gave me a piece of paper that just said i hate you on it that kind of had been crumpled and stepped in the dirt because they did not want to put the time into it so i definitely think there was a balance there there were some people who did not care (laughs) it was obvious who ended up writing their letter the morning of 
as opposed mm-hmm. to put their thought and effort into it. And I always put a, like, I always tried to make it as character specific as I possibly could work in as many jokes as I could make it clear that I understood who the other person's character was and their relationship to me. Like that to me was always very important uh, because I'm, I, and I almost always was on the receiving end of either no letter at all because the person assigned to me just never bothered to write it or, uh, or it was clearly a letter that had been written, you know, hurriedly in the last 15 minutes so that it would, you know, someone would not get an F on their homework assignment or whatever. I, there were a couple of exceptions, but generally speaking, I, I ended up being on the receiving end of crappy letters. Um, um. <laughs> but I, I loved writing them. That that was, and the people who received them, I hope enjoyed getting them. I, I struggled with writing my love and hates, but I always put the effort in. Usually, you know, it would have some sort of like ribbon on it or a little bell or something akin to my character, but it was somewhere in the middle. It wasn't a big grandiose creation, but it was, I had put effort into the compliments or the insults. um, And then I tried to maintain those love and hates throughout the year. There are some people who just completely ignored them after that, but whatever. Well, see, I was just about to ask you about that, about whether or not like, see, to me, the whole love and hate thing was literally designed in rehearsals to create uh, a way for you to learn how to interact with other people and to, to get more comfortable with the language. So for me on every single day of festival, in fact, even like hour to hour on festival, I would just decide what my attitude was toward other characters and that would just be it for the day as opposed mm-hmm. to, oh, I was assigned to love the queen. So from this point forward, I'm just going to love the queen every single day. Like to me, I was worried personally that that would mean I would start building a story that only really I and maybe the queen would know. And thus, like mm-hmm. if you were to come in on weekend five, you know, in my mind and in the queen's mind, we're continuing a narrative, but you just showed up. So you, you don't know what all that stuff is. Whereas if I were treating it more like, okay, for this interaction, I have decided I really like this person. Uh, and, and that way it made it a little easier, I think from an accessibility standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I did a little of both. So there were definitely characters that I was assigned to love. It was always easier for me to hate people. And I'm just, I'm going to be real transparent about myself here. One of the places that I have grown most as an actor is in my self-confidence. I was not a popular child Uh, in school. um, I was, I was called a little bit of a crybaby. I was probably a little too emotional um, at times. Um, And not to say emotions are bad. Um, You can be an emotional person, but I struggled. Um, And so going into fair, um, you know, was at the time in my life where I was trying to build a lot of confidence. Um, but I still had this like mentality of like, and and it didn't help that my first year was as the old maid. Right. Uh, so I had this mentality of like, I want to be this (laughs) desirable, popular person that people like to be around who's pretty and all this other stuff. And, you know, I would go into fair and here I was on equal footing with these people. I was still an actor, but it was kind of clicky. So oftentimes I kind of still felt like the odd duck out. Um, And so acting to love somebody kind of felt like an imposition on that other person. It probably absolutely was not. This is something I was putting on myself based on past experiences. 
Um, but hates were great, but I would usually start them over um, <laughs> at the beginning of a day. Yeah. So like it would be a real surface level petty thing that I hated that would be easy for someone to stick on. And, you know, I it would switch throughout the day. I think, you know, sometimes you really hate the people you love. And so like I would flip flop and people would just not know what was coming. Yeah, there were, there were seasons where Ariel and I were acting against one another as uh, Vogue and the Lord Admiral. And yeah, from from moment to moment, like whenever we weren't together all day, but we would end up being together multiple times throughout the day. And it always seemed like whenever we got back together, one character was being very uh, sweet to the other one and the other one was being terrible to the first one and it would switch. <laughs> like we were never yes. on, we were never both hating each other or both gaga for each other. It was always one, one's hot and one's cold. And it was just pretty funny because it wasn't like we were even talking about it or planning it out. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think, you know, that's, that's, when you watch a TV show, you always love the cat and mouse game more than you love when the characters actually get together or actually yeah, break up, right? That's true. So I feel like for the people who did come back, who did know our characters, who were invested in the village, I felt like that was a good, a fun payoff for them because there was this cat and mouse game. Yeah, and um, for for anyone else, it was just two people who were bickering and it was fine. But yeah. the, uh, the to talk a little bit about what your schedule is like on a typical festival day. So let's say it's opening day. Uh, actors get to the festival uh, at least an hour and a half before the gate opens if they don't want to get uh, dinged. Because if you're late more than a, a couple of times, you get fined. Um, earlier if you're in if if they're, you're doing combat because you warm up and you run through your fights yeah so you would show up you would go to your assigned parking space backstage which was usually around the ring of the outer wall for the festival so they had different zones and you had an assigned zone you would park there some people would come fully dressed a lot of us would come partly dressed <laughs> yeah. change the rest of the way in the, in the parking lot. Um, you know, you, you got used to the fact that your, your dressing room was a parking lot outdoors. <laughs> and you got pretty good at pretty, you either just didn't care and nobody else cared because, you know, dr dressing room etiquette, or you got really good at like changing under like your billowy pieces. Yeah. Um, uh, Eric, Ariel often gave me a ride back in those days. And I can tell you that uh, I got very good at turning around and looking out at the festival and she <laughs> got very good at changing in her billowy pieces. So yes. we were respectful of one another's privacy. <laughs> uh, yeah. But also and we also also were, is useful because you, there was usually something that needed to be tied or, or tightened that yeah. you really needed a second person to help with. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say occasionally you'd see an exposed top or a butt cheek or something like that, usually by accident, you know, um, but butt cheeks were the, the most common thing that you'd see by accident. But like that, that is one place I'll say that everyone in my experience stayed pretty, um, pretty professional and respectful in, in yeah. that, like you, you either didn't acknowledge it or you turned around because everybody's most people are trying to change in the parking lot, especially at the end of the day when you have to yeah. change back out because you don't want to drive in your dirty, nasty, sweaty 
Renaissance yeah, festival. No, by the, cars. by the end of certain days, I was just like, the only thing going through my mind is I've got to get out of this yeah. because it, I'd just be so hot and uncomfortable. So yes. we would get there probably, you know, a lot of us would get there around 8am, some earlier, like when I was working there the first time, uh, my wife, uh, she was the assistant to the director and one of her jobs was to deliver water and ice to all the backstage areas, like all the, all the, of all the stages, some of which are actually on site, not just, uh, you know, a lot of the stages w- would butt up against that exterior wall, but some of them were internal and we had to go and bring the water and the ice into those. So we would get there at like seven so that we could do those rounds and everything. Uh, but yeah, you would usually get there sometime between eight, eight thirty. Uh, if you're our dear friend, Shay, maybe eight fifty-five, and then, um, <laughs> Around 9 a.m., we were supposed to all gather for morning meeting, which was when the director would tell us anything uh, of note that was happening that day. Maybe there was going to be a wedding. You know, maybe there was a special guest. Maybe we needed to, you know, some of the characters needed to swing by and do stuff. Occasionally, we would have like a special event and characters would immediately get assigned to oversee them, often without having heard about this before that day. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you're going to oversee the walk the plank contest. Like, Oh, what is that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so we would do the meeting, the meeting, like it depends on who the director was. Some meetings were like incredibly efficient and short and you would get the you would get the meeting through you would go through any announcements like sometimes people would have an announcement to the rest of the cast like maybe they're getting rid of a costume piece or something and then you would be left to continue getting ready until uh you were sent out to entertain people who are gathering for opening gate uh officially opening gate i think was supposed to be 10:30 when i first started but by the time i was leaving it was like 10:05 some days Mm-hmm. And um, and that's when you would have like a, a little ceremony kind of explaining what was going to go on with the festival. So from t- essentially 10 a.m. when most of the characters would have to go out and and mill around with the patrons to entertain them while they wait for the gates to open. Uh, some of us would be held back so that we would come up on these ramparts above the gates to greet the fest the festival goers so pretty frequently i didn't have to go out among the patrons because i was part of the story but Mm -hmm. uh from that moment until 6 p.m you're working and you do get uh some breaks like you get a break so that you can have lunch and you can take short breaks especially if you need to when it's starting to get really hot although you're it's frowned upon for you to take too many breaks it's not It's not clearly defined, but people notice if you are frequently backstage as opposed to being out there entertaining people. But yeah, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., you are, if you're on stage, you're in character and you are performing to entertain people. Yeah. And a lot of people, like I, if I needed to, I would eat backstage, but oftentimes I ate lunch on site and I just made it entertaining and I, you know. My breaks were going to pee or sticking my head in a freezer for a second. Um, 
So that that is a I don't know by the time you left, but when I was there, breaks were pretty much, as, as, you know, it, they weren't clearly defined. And I feel like that's almost a detriment because like you don't know what's OK. So sometimes you don't do it. Yeah, there were some of us who like the for I would say for the first half of my festival career, which, again, was broken up among several different, you know, multi-year stints. But for the first half of it, uh, I took almost no breaks. Like I took a break for lunch and uh, unlike Ariel, I would typically sit backstage just so I could decompress a bit and eat. Although occasionally I would eat out on stage. I think I ate out on stage until one day uh, a, a, a young woman who worked in a booth kissed my, the top of my head. And I thought it, I thought it was Becca and I was getting ready to do a whole big character bit because my wife, Becca, she was playing a peasant character and I was the mayor. So I was going to make her grovel, but then I turn around and it's a young lady, like probably 16 who just kissed the top of my head. Not cool. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, maybe I'll be eating backstage from now on because I didn't see her coming. I didn't have any idea. I didn't know how to extricate myself from that particular. Uh, And by the way, I fully acknowledge that the maybe half dozen instances I've had on site where I've been uh, uh, perhaps um, uh, harassed is a very strong word. In some cases, it totally applies, but like things have gone beyond my boundaries a few times, maybe a half dozen times. I fully acknowledge that for a lot of the women on the cast, that was like something that was frequently happening multiple times a season. Like for me, it's across Mm -hmm. the entire time I was there. Um, But yeah, just just the few times it happened to me, I was like, gosh, I have a huge appreciation for what uh, the women on cast can can go through, depending upon, you know, their encounters and the types of people they they meet up with. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, you'd you'd be there. You'd work until six. Uh, Most of the time, uh, this actually wasn't a thing when I first started. But by the time I came back, when Ariel was well into her her run as a a character, um, people, the cast would stick around backstage uh, because at the end of the day, everyone's leaving and traffic would be so bad that you would just be sitting in your car waiting to turn onto a road and then waiting to yeah. turn onto a highway. So you might as well just sit backstage and hang out with the other actors. And that became a, its own kind of ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like you could be there, let's say if, if you got there at 8 AM to do fight or whatever. Right. Um, and then you leave at like six thirty seven. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even seven thirty or eight. Yeah, I mean, that it's a huge long day. And then you usually want to go get food or go home and sleep. Um, you know, I will say as a street character, it's like a marathon because you're you're running between low and high energy all day long. Um, it is really interesting looking at it as a stage show slash band because my band played on stages. Um, and I would always encourage them, hey, let's go out and hang out outside. Let's walk around. Let's instead of going backstage from stage to stage, let's walk on site from stage to stage and do like a musical Lotsi or sit and eat and play play on our instruments a little bit or whatever. But when you're on when you're a stage show and I'm sure this is the same for like um, 
Shakespeare parody, those moments you are on and you're such high energy that it's exhausting. So uh, uh, that's part of the reason that like musicians are not required to always be out on the streets when they aren't doing their shows, because one, they have to warm up and prep and get their instruments ready. And two, it's a lot more energy to put on a 30 minute stage show than it is to do 30 minutes in the lanes. Usually not always you can bust your ass in the, in the lanes, but you can. Yeah. And I mean, but you're not able to do that all day. It would kill you. So to your point, like when you're on a stage show, you're running high energy for that half hour slot you've been given when you are on the, in the lanes, you know, maybe you have a stint where it's just like you're on fire and you're doing like different character interactions and big bits and stuff. And maybe you've got a half hour, you know, section of your day where it really was like that, but it's more likely that you're going to have, you know, uh, uh, mountains and valleys, right? You're going to have moments where things are high energy and really going. And then other moments where everybody's hot, you're walking around, you're making eye contact with people, but clearly no one is, is quite in the headspace to play because they really just need to find the next like shady spot or they're on their way to a specific location. And that's fine. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I will say that when I was doing Shakespeare parody, like after each performance, I would take about five minutes sitting down backstage before I would go back out so that I could, I could like calm down, rest, drink some water in, in peace before heading back out as the character. But yeah, that backstage was one of the coolest backstages, like not as in like the neatest, but are you talking about Greenwood? Yeah. Yeah. Greenwood stage doesn't exist at the Georgia Renaissance Festival anymore. It was a tiny little diamond shaped stage. Actually, I totally forgot about it. That is where I did have one of another injury. I, I was thinking the only injury I had was the courtly dancing one. That's wrong. I mm-hmm. brained myself on Greenwood stage because it was this know. diamond shaped thrust that, you know, it came to the end of the stage came to a point that and most of the audience was sort of diagonally to your left or diagonally to your right with only a couple of people who are able to sit toward the point of the diamond and the upstage part had, uh, had walls and it actually was like a little like L shaped hallway, like a diamond shaped hallway in the back, very narrow, but it was an actual backstage that was out of view of Mm. the general population. But it also had these windows that looked out from the backstage and they had gables on them. And there was uh, a day when I was squatted under one of those gables as a character. And I stood up not knowing that I was right at the corner of the gable and it hit me right on the very top of my head and I'm bald. So um, I scratched my head uh, and anyone who's ever had like any kind of scratch on their face or their head knows those bleed a lot. And when you're sweating, it looks way worse. So yeah, that was, (laughs) I was doing the rest of the Shakespeare parody sweating and bleeding and being in pain. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I've also, uh, that, that stage, you did have to be careful. Ten Penny played on that stage. I think our first year as a band and you have to be careful. Um, so we need to move on to our final segment so that, uh, we can wrap up. Uh, but, uh, before we do, did you prefer being more scheduled or unscheduled? I preferred being more scheduled because having scheduled things throughout the day helped break up the uh, freedom of walking around and just entertaining left and right. Like the, the less scheduled I was, uh, the more tired I would be at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I fully agree. I and I felt like exception of I hated being scheduled for front gate. I know a lot of people loved it because it was super easy. I always felt like my characters were built for uh I always built my characters I talked about it in the last episode more for bit interactions and less for like uh general conversation. So I always felt like I was giving more value to the patrons not at front gate. Um and even even opening gate i always i hated interacting with people because i would tag everybody who would be there in the morning with whatever i was doing because i'm really efficient and then i wouldn't have anybody to interact with (laughs) and then it got really hard to figure out what to do for the next hour while new people were coming in um especially if it was a slow day um but i preferred being more scheduled as well because it meant that the moments i knew that i had to play the lanes and to interact with patrons on non-scheduled things i knew that i could put more effort into that because i knew when i would get my break to do the next thing yeah yeah um, yeah yeah so i guess we can quickly or at least as quickly as we can talk about reasons <laughs> why uh we have left we've obviously touched on some of them the rehearsal process yeah. can be grueling and uh uncompensated compensation in general is very low like criminally low i would say yeah. um it really undervalues performers specifically. It really undervalues street cast who uh, are not allowed to solicit tips. So mm-hmm. because there's no, there's no ad- additional compensation in the form of tips, you're only dependent upon what the festival is providing and they're not providing very much in return. You have to do, most people have to uh, supply their own costume, which can be very expensive depending upon the character you're playing and, how much effort you're putting into that character uh, characters, uh, actors frequently, but not every year, but frequently had to pay for their own meals. So mm-hmm. that would sometimes be as much as like half of what you were making for the day um, just could, for the meal. You could, you could pack your meal and put it in a fridge. Um, yes, the fridge you could. worked most of the time, but then you would have, but to you're go... still paying for your meal, yeah. right? You're still, you had to go out you and are. buy it somewhere else. <laughs> And then you had to go, like, if you if you were back at the fair, there was a couple of years where you would be scheduled in the zones of fair and you'd have to work the back of the fair. But if you're keeping your food up at the front of the fair, that's a hell of a, a hike to yeah. get your lunch. Yeah, it's lots and lots um, of acres. Yeah, exhausting. so uh, the for me, it was things like, and also, like, there, there seemed to generally be a failure on behalf of the leadership at the festival to show appreciation or even acknowledgement of the street Mm -hmm. cast. Like you almost felt like the festival's looking for any reason to just get rid of you because they don't care because there's never any gesture from festival management that you matter. And that that's a huge problem with any organization. If you've ever worked anywhere Mm -hmm where you were feeling unappreciated, you know how to, what a huge hit that is to morale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to be real honest. I stopped doing fair when I got married. Um, partially because when you sign up for fair, uh, unless you have something pre-baked into your contract that you're going to be out a day, you, you can't miss a day. And I understand that it's a, it is treated like a job. So it should be paid like a job. So the yes. payment, the pay was not enough to make up for the time that I might have to miss because occasionally I have a bad back or, um, you know, and, and I usually work through that anyhow, because I 
don't know when to quit. Um, but yeah, the pay was not enough for the time commitment for me and I was getting married. So I had other stuff I wanted to do on the weekends. I wanted to hang out with my spouse. Um, uh, another part of it was just the, I got tired of being in the hot sun for that many hours with not knowing whether or not it would get pinged badly if I took a break. And I rarely took breaks, but every once in a while, someone would be like, why are you backstage? And I'm like, this is the first time I'm backstage in the last five hours. Why are you giving me a hard time? And you know, when you're tired and hot, you don't want to deal with that. Um, I loved giving people like a little memento of their interaction with me. And that got very expensive. The upkeep of the costume was expensive. The props were expensive. The, you know, um, I would spend more, like, for instance, when I was Vogue, and I did this with most characters. Um, I When I was the Black Widow, I'd give out rings. When I was the Old Maid, I'd give out rings and bells. When I was Vogue, I'd give out jewels and ribbons. When I was Amelia Onair, I'd give out jewels. So all of my characters kind of had a thing, unless I was a musician. My Kissing Wench, I gave out kisses, but uh, Those I had are to expensive, pay for all the y'all. lipstick. <laughs> no, they weren't. They were free unless someone wanted to tip. Wait, what? Um, Man, yeah. I want a refund. But I mean, that's part. So like, you know, kissing wenches put dollar bills in their bodices. And that was a part of the whole thing with like uh, some of the the worst interactions I had with patrons were people who took, you know, an invitation to be a little bit saucy too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I got smacked once in the face. Uh, and, and like, this is not someone I was not like pushing a kiss on anyone. I was trying to interact with the wife about her husband and she just smacked me in the face because she felt, uh, I don't know. She thought either felt threatened or thought it was funny. Um, uh, I had someone, uh, put their hand all the way down my bodice. Um, I, I, I had a parent try to get their kid to shove money in my chest and i was like no this kid is not doing that um because the kid does not want to do it and i don't want them to do it and you shouldn't be making your child do this so like i was pretty good at getting out of these situations um or dealing with them as they happened as i got older and fair and thankfully i wasn't a kissing wench until i was older I, i i didn't like being an old maid but i will tell you it was a good thing i was not a kissing wench that first year you need years and years of experience to do that but yeah um not enough pay to cover my costs um or my time i couldn't pursue other acting gigs that did pay or had more um more uh, like growth opportunity to them mm-hmm. uh and then yeah yeah i just i felt undervalued i i yeah. felt like I, I felt like it was almost a burden on the fair for me to be there. But I will tell you, it also affected my desire to go back as a patron. I have not been back to fair an awful lot since I left because, uh, th- as you said, they were cutting back on Streetcast. Uh, and that's what I loved. That was the free entertainment. Mm-hmm. You can watch a show. You don't have to tip. But if you want food, if you want to buy anything, if you want to play a game or ride a ride, that all costs money. If you watch a show and you want a tip, that costs money. The street cast were the free entertainment at fair. And when you walked in, it's what made you feel like you were a part of the village. And that was what was special about the Renaissance Festival to me. And that has kind of disappeared. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. That That's how I was interested in, in joining as well, because I had memories of going to the Renaissance Fair and seeing characters and interacting with them and them being very silly and funny. And 
I wanted to do that too. Uh, and I feel like, especially over recent years that the, the, the cast now is much, much, much smaller than it was when Ariel and I were performing there. Um, it is a, a fraction of what it used to be. And it means that if you do go to the festival, you can have the experience of walking into the front gates, doing an entire circuit of the festival and never being aware that you were ever even close to a street character because there's just so few of them that there there's a good chance you won't see any. And it does mean that you end up having this big sort of Renaissance themed fairground, but without any of the, the flavor and character that you would get with a good street cast. Uh, and it's very frustrating to me because you know, once upon a time you would go, maybe you weren't interested in the street cast, but you were interested in shopping or whatever. Well, these days with the internet, a lot of the stuff you can find at the Renaissance Festival, you can find like their supplier online. <laughs> you can yeah. order directly from them. So like there's there's fewer reasons to go to a festival unless you can make it special. And yet we've seen support for street casts drop to a point where it's very hard to convince people to come back. Like there are some people who are hardcore and will be back mm -hmm. year after year. But a lot of people, after they go through uh, some seasons, especially seeing a decline, they're like me. And they're just like, I can't do this again. I'm done. I, it's, it's too depressing to me to be part of yeah. this. And, um, uh, and that just makes the problem worse. And because street cast are not revenue generators. Yeah. It's free to watch us. It's free to interact with us, but we also, we don't generate money for the festival directly. We're part of what makes a festival special. So it brings people in, but that's hard to quantify. So when you are doing the numbers from a business perspective, you see the cost of street casts, like how much you're paying to have these people walking around and being silly, but you're not seeing at least not directly the numbers that contribute to your bottom line. Like it just ends up being a cost. So from a business perspective, you could see why there'd be little desire to preserve that. Um, unless you had this appreciation of the street cast is what is an element that makes the festival a place where people say, Hey, I want to go to the Renaissance festival this weekend. Uh, and it may not be the prime reason. It might not even be one that they can vocalize, but because it ends up creating that atmosphere, it ends up being really important. I think that, yeah. and I think, I think music throughout the festival, and I mean like live performed music throughout the festival are two things that I found really magical when I was a patron. And I'm sad that both of those have largely faded because there are fewer places for musicians to perform throughout the festival. And there's just, it's a smaller group of people these days than it was when I first yeah. joined. Yeah. Um, I will say devil's advocate. I know people who don't put any, like they don't, they would interact with me because I was their friend already. They knew me outside of fair, but in general, they didn't super enjoy interacting with street characters. My, honestly, my husband is one of them. Uh, he doesn't go to fair for the street characters or the village. He went and, and not even for the shows. Uh, he, he, you know, he went because it was a, a fun place to like look at swords, but also he doesn't go often because it's a really expensive way to go look at swords that you can buy online. Even a lot of the handcrafters, you said I, you could find the suppliers for the, the, the booths online. A lot of the handcrafters have online stores as well. Um, mm -hmm. cause that's the age we live in. Um, so 
like not everybody values that the way that Jonathan and I do, but I do. Th- I agree with you. I think it made it special. Um, yeah, I kind of think of it like if you were to go to Disney World, but there were no characters ever anywhere in Disney yeah. World, it would be it's not that the, the characters make or break it. It's that the presence there is one of the things that ends up being a memorable element that uh, improves the experience. Yeah. And their absence makes it feel lesser than, but it's not like you would immediately associate the characters as being, that's the reason we have to go. Yeah. And like, there are other fairs that do volunteer cast, um, but you still have to make them feel valued. Right. Well, and like, to your point, if you're going to put the onus on them to deliver certain things, like if they're, if you're being treated like, you have these responsibilities, then you should be compensated. Like if you're being Mm -hmm. given responsibilities, then there needs to be a two way interaction there. It shouldn't just be one way where the festival gets free labor from you, like volunteering so that you can be part of like a big group. So sure. Pretty picture. That's one thing. But if you have other duties, that's a job. Yeah. 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 Or if you're going to get um, penalized, if you have a conflict come up and I'm not saying like, if you've got a volunteer cast, you know, if you're in a community theater show, you agree to show up for things, but like life also, happens. Also right? community theaters typically are nonprofits and the Renaissance yeah. festival definitely is not. Is Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, and like, I, I know that stage stage shows and traveling shows have the same issue, like of, of getting paid, what their time is worth and their travel is worth and things like that too. Mm -hmm. Um, at various fairs, you know, I don't have all of the insights onto that. And I don't necessarily think that I am in a a place where I should speak about that publicly on a podcast, but you know, it, it is a thing. Various fairs have various budgets based on where they are and how long they run and what kind of audience they're getting. And so like, there's not a good standard to even say, this is this is a good standard of practice, but I generally think, yeah, if you've got duties and responsibilities and you're expected to show up at a certain time every day and stay to a certain time every day, you should get some sort of compensation and you should also be shown appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. And if you if you're being treated as a volunteer, then you should be able to leave whenever you want. Right. Like you should be able, you show up, you work an hour and you're like, all right, that's enough for me. I'm going. You shouldn't be told like, oh, you can't like, well, you're not paying me. I'm a volunteer. I'm now volunteering to leave. So like, it needs to like whatever the arrangement is, it needs to work both ways for both parties. It can't be it can't be that one party benefits from the other and there's nothing in return. That is just not yeah. acceptable. So yeah. really, that, that's the big thing. Like we could probably go on forever about things we have observed with the specifically with the Georgia Renaissance festival over the years, but that ends up being so narrow casting that I think we can, we can skip it. Um, yeah. And instead we can just say that, you know, we always hold out hope that there will be a, a change in culture and that we'll see performers being valued and being compensated properly and have a kind of a rejuvenation of the festival. I would love yeah. to see that. Yeah. And, and also if you enjoy going to Renaissance festivals, regardless of which one it is, I am so glad for you. I hope you have a lot of fun. Just show appreciation to all the people who work there. Cause it's, it's fun, but it's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. but continue to enjoy it. And to the actors who are still working at Ren Fairs, 
where maybe like Jonathan and I have felt undervalued. Great. They really love it and they really love you. Um, so enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. We're just saying like the things that led to us leaving, but that doesn't mean yeah. like, like I still know a couple of people who's, who work there season after season. I don't hold any ill will toward them for that decision. They're still getting genuine enjoyment and benefit from it for, you know, however they, they view that it's just for me personally, it no longer met that, that standard. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, people, people grow and move on. Um, Mm -hmm. and do other awesome things. Uh, but yeah, we need to wrap up today. So if there are any questions you have about, uh, the Renaissance festival that we didn't talk about, uh, how can they reach out to you, Jonathan, to have you answer them? Well, what they can do is they can take a trip down to their local grocery store and they're going to go down the produce aisle and in between uh, different types of apples, you're going to see a fruit that doesn't look like anything you've ever seen before. And you're going to go ahead and just grab that, put that in your basket or your cart or whatever, do the rest of your shopping. When you check out, you will find out that this object you picked up, this fruit doesn't register as anything in the system. And therefore you can just take it and you're going to take that home. You're going to go home. You're going to take this weird fruit. You're going to peel it. You're going to chop it up into tiny bits. You're going to put those bits into like a food processor or a blender of some sort, blend it down. You're going to turn that into a shake. You're going to drink that shake and then you're going to forget everything that happens to you over the next 18 hours. So just make sure you've got a buddy to kind of look after you because I don't know what you get up to, but neither will you. That's part of the problem. But when you wake up, you're going to see that on your computer screen is a little blinking line in green and it says, what is your question? It's me. I've hacked in. You can ask me and I will answer. Except if the question is, what was that fruit? I can tell you now the answer will be, what fruit? That felt very like uh, welcome to Night Vale to me. Um, <laughs> also, old school. I, I may or may not be somewhat influenced by Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> uh, if if you don't understand the little green line hacking reference and you want uh, a more modern way to contact us, you can do so on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Threads, Discord. We are Large Nerdron Collider on Twitter X, whatever it's called now. We're at LNC underscore podcast. Um, and, uh, you can check all of our show notes on large I've had some fun picking pictures of Jonathan and I from Renfest to put up on these latest episodes. Uh, and, um, or you can email us at large at gmail.com. Um, invites to discord are also on our website. Um, we love hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for asking us to talk about this topic. It's been honestly a lot of fun. Um, and until next time, I am Ariel. Uh, hear ye, hear ye, Caston. And I am Jonathan. Fare thee well in safe journeys home, Strickland. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.